So we're going to return this morning to January chapter 2, to what we began last week, this study of this book about a faithful God. Remember, God is the hero of the story of Daniel, but Daniel is also a faithful man, used of God. And so we celebrate not only the faithful God that we see front and center, but we celebrate the Daniel who God raised up. And we're essentially, for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter by chapter, all the way up to the first week of December, the first uh, week that we will begin to celebrate and move our hearts uh, towards Uh, the season of Advent, and that will be a natural break for us because what that will do is that will uh, take us through the first six chapters of Daniel, and then there's a shift in Daniel chapter 7 from uh, from the narrative that we, many of us, know well, uh, those Bible stories of uh, the fiery furnace and the lion's den, and we'll look at those in coming weeks. And then Daniel 7 gets into the visions uh, that Daniel begins to see, and you'll have to wait till after Christmas uh, to explore those as we take a break uh, for Advent. What that means, though, as we look chapter by chapter uh, is, and that's not necessarily something I'm doing for expediency's sake, it's something I'm doing because the chapters themselves hold together as unified wholes, and I think to break them up uh, is a bit artificial. And so, what that means is these passages are pretty lengthy. Uh, They are pretty extensive. And so, this morning, uh, we are going to read, I'm going to read to you uh, the entirety of chapter 2, but we're going to break it up into two sections, and we're going to begin reading the first uh, section, verses 1 uh, through 30, and then I will return and read the section, section after the first point. And so, if you would, if you are able, uh, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30, to begin with. Listen as I read, this is God's holy Word. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And so they came in and they stood before the king and the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king Tell his servants the dream, and and we will show its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream. I shall know that you shall show me 
its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. And so the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give him glory. Glory.
Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Two truths for us this morning, two comforts that ought to lead us to praise. I think that's what this whole story does. And I wanted to read the story in its entirety to you because you need to see the whole picture in addition to the fact that this is God's Word. And I could sit down and it would be sufficient for you this morning. But in order to dwell on it further, I want to think about two comforts, and and they center around verse 22, that poem of praise that we confessed at the beginning of our service that you hear again as I read it to you just a moment ago. And the first truth is this, God knows the deepness and the darkness. The God that we worship this morning The God that we adore knows the deepness and the darkness. I suspect all of us or many of us in this room at some point in our lives have had those dreams. Those kinds of dreams in your sleep that that are so disturbing that it's a relief to wake up to reality. And then maybe, and I'm, maybe I'm alone in this, there are those dreams that you feel like, you wake up and you feel like that meant something. Dreams you, you think about in the day wondering, what, what, what was that all about? What did that expose about the inner workings of, of my mind and my heart as I sleep? Dreams are indeed mysterious, and how God does or doesn't use them in our lives is a discussion for another time. But today, it is a dream that forms the centerpiece of the story. The young King Nebuchadnezzar, and I say young because we think, history tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was about 30 years old, and he at age 30 is the most powerful man in the world at this time. Nebuchadnezzar, his Babylonian kingdom is vast. His grip over the ancient world is strong, receiving tributes from all over the place. Everything in his life externally is ordered and just as he wants it to be, just as he has made it to be. But internally, he's tormented. Not only is there this built-in paranoia that a man of such power no doubt feels in a position of such power, but these dreams, he's having these dreams and they're haunting him. See, in the Babylonian culture, it was thought, it was widely accepted that the gods communicated to people through dreams. 
And if the king in particular is plagued by a dream, well, that meant something extra special because the king represented a nation. He represented a people. And so ancient kings would surround themselves with magicians, with diviners who would consult literal dream manuals. We, we found these dream manuals in the ancient world. And they would consult these manuals in order to help kings and leaders interpret their dreams. But this dream, or this set of dreams, it's plural here as Daniel retells it, has made Nebuchadnezzar particularly paranoid. Now, some have suggested that his actions here in regards to speaking to his own magicians mean that he himself can't remember the dream. I don't think that's the case. Nebuchadnezzar remembers the dream. In fact, I think he remembers the dream so much that I think that's why he's so scared. He has an inkling of what this dream might mean. Is, is there some secret enemy out there for me? Is there an assassination plot brewing? And this drives Nebuchadnezzar to not even trust his inner circle, to not even trust those around them, but to insist that even they prove themselves by doing the impossible. They need to tell him his dream. And if they don't, limbs will fly, houses will burn. You see, this man is not only disturbed in his sleep. This is history, folks. This man is not only disturbed in his sleep, he's becoming unhinged as he's awake. I mean, he is the Kim Jong-un of, of our day, of his day. He's ready to end lives at his own personal whim. Because he, like the tyrannical leader of North Korea, believes that he is a god. See, all of this all of this terror and all of this fear and all of this buildup leads to verse 11. If there's a verse to underline in your insert or in your Bibles, verse 11. Let me read it to you. The thing that the king asks is difficult. Oh, you think? You think it's difficult? And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And that's where it's all headed. Because folks, there is a God who dwells with His people. There is a God who is high and lifted up, but who dwells with the humble and the contrite in heart. There is a revealer of mysteries, one who knows the depths of the human heart, who knows the darkness that often accompanies those depths, and yet it is not darkness to him. In fact, Yahweh knows this dream because he gave this dream. As one commentator called it, a divinely appointed nightmare is what Nebuchadnezzar was experiencing. 
And so David confesses in Psalm 139, you know this psalm well because I say it constantly, it's my favorite passage of Scripture. If I say, David says, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. And so as Daniel enters into this scary situation going on in in exile in Babylon, he does so with the confidence of a man who knows whom he serves and has faith in his ability to step into the mystery, into the darkness of Nebuchadnezzar's mind and bring understanding. God knows the deepness and the darkness. While it's not the point of the passage, Daniel's actions are, are, are worth thinking about. This is faithfulness, in part, this is faithfulness in a foreign land. And so what does Daniel do? Well, we can boil it down in, in simply four things. First of all, verse 14, he acted. Right? He did something. He acted with prudence and discretion. He didn't freeze, he didn't panic, he didn't revolt, he didn't run, but he inquired, and he inquired because he knows his God, and therefore he not need fear any man. And, and I think this is striking. Did you notice that Daniel set his appointment with the king before he had received the interpretation of the dream. And that's the second thing, he risked. He risked. I mean, who does Daniel approach? He approaches the guy who came to kill him. And with courage and confidence, not knowing the answer yet, he says, get me an appointment with the king. He acted, he risked. Verse 18, he prayed. He went back to his companions and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. He knew this was only a situation that God could remedy. And so in faith, they cried out to him. And indeed, God answered. And so the last thing Daniel did that we can take note of is he praised. He acted, he risked his own life, he prayed, and then he prays. When, when Daniel receives what he asked for, he doesn't rush off to take care of the situation, but he poetically extols the God who knows the darkness, and he gave glory where it was due. This wasn't about him, it was about his God. So what's the takeaway for us as God's people from this first half of the story and this first point, other than, other than these things that I just read concerning Daniel? Well, I think there's a very personal application. I think there's a global application. Personally, it matters to me that my God knows the depths of me the complexity of me, 
the woundedness of me, and yes, the darkness of me. It's why Psalm 139 is one of my favorite passages in God's Word, and it's a truth that my soul, my soul simply cannot live without, that everything, every thought, every circumstance, every fear, every feeling is known by a God who loves me, and nothing is hidden from His sight, and nothing is hidden from His light even in the face of mysteries, mysteries in my own mind, in my own heart, I can be secure as a son of the Most High. Going back to the fascinating subjects of dreams, I I read an interesting quote this week concerning Nebuchadnezzar's dream and his unsettledness, and I thought it was very poignant, interesting, The commentator says, the anxieties of daylight can become the monsters of the darkness. Dreams often have these effects on us, even in our supposed 20th century sophistication. They force us to face up to the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a phrase from Psalm 139. And that there are deep-seated mysteries, fears, ambitions, and passions in our being that normally lie dormant. You see, as, as Nebuchadnezzar, the man who sat on top of the world, as he experienced, this is a humbling thing. And yet for us people of God who acknowledge and who submit to the teaching and the proclamation that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, this is a comfort. So that's personally, I think, where this applies, this simple truth. But this applies on a global scale as well. On a global scale in our world, this is a message that maybe we as free Americans don't understand. In fact, we don't understand because we don't experience it. But let me tell you, many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of this world, this very minute, are experiencing this. I spoke about Reformation Sunday and about looking to the past and rejoicing in our heritage. Next Sunday is marked in the Protestant church, the modern Protestant church, as the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so next week, we are going to spend some time praying. We are going to highlight the fact that brothers and sisters in Jesus around the globe suffer for Him right now. In fact, the U.S. Department of State estimates that Christians in more than 60 countries, 60 countries, experience persecution from either their governments or their neighbors or both based upon their belief in Jesus. And North Korea tops the list. You see, this message that God knows the darkness 
It's a message for them. All the pomp and the power of this world, all the so-called wisdom is no match for our God of wisdom and might, the one who removes and sets up kings. And that's ultimately where this passage leads us. Picking up where we left off, you can remain in your seats, but let me read the second half of the passage, Daniel 2, 31 through 49. Daniel says to the king, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its, its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces." and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. And its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. The second comfort that I want you to see from this second half of the narrative is this. 
The light has come. The stone has rolled. And the mountain is growing. I know that's kind of three points in one. But just separate them by a comma. The light has come. The stone has rolled. And the mountain is growing. See, in the midst of the darkness that we see, we can rejoice that there is a God who knows the darkness, who knows the depth of our souls, but also this God has sent His light, the stone, and that stone has become, is becoming an overwhelming mountain. I want to begin by telling you something about this passage that isn't readily, it's probably in your study notes if you have a study Bible, but it's not easily discernible if you're just reading in English. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 4, beginning in chapter 2, verse 4, the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, from verse 4 of chapter 2 all the way now through chapter 7, these chapters of Daniel are written in Aramaic. Now, why is that significant? Because almost the entirety of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the language of the Jews. And this section is written in Aramaic. Why? Well, books and books have been written about this. But let me offer a simple explanation. Aramaic was the international language of the day. And so it's almost as as if Daniel is writing this message, he's writing this account to God's people. It's comfort to them in exile, this whole book that we're studying. But here in chapter 2, verse 4, it's almost as if he lays down a marker and it says, here begins a global message. Let it be known. There is a God who knows the darkness. There is a God who has sent his light. There is a stone that has rolled and there is a mountain that is growing. He wants all the world to know that this is a message not just for a people. This is a message for humanity. So we jump back into the story. Brave Daniel has moved from confronting his executioner, Arioch, to now explaining to the one who ordered that execution that all that he has built, that all that he prides himself in, will be short-lived. Two words, two words, after you, after you, Nebuchadnezzar, will come another. And then four words at the end of verse 44, it shall stand forever. Those two words and those four words, they sum up the dream that God has given to the king, the message that he wants the world to know. Many of us have seen this illustration, this statue. In fact, it's kind of, it's on your bulletin cover, kind of. At least next week's statue is. This head of gold, this 
chest of, of silver, this middle of bronze, this, this legs and feet of iron and clay that, that Daniel goes on and on to the king about. And, and, and notice that the particular parts, other than the head, they don't get explicitly identified. And, and a lot of ink has been spilled over what those parts mean. And, and, and generally, most conclude that the chest the head is Babylon, the chest is Medo-Persia, which came in after Babylon, the, the middle section is Greece, which came in and took over Medo-Persia, and then the legs and the feet are Rome, the Roman Empire of Jesus' day. And that makes sense. That makes sense in the history that we know and the historical progression of our world. But if we focus our gaze and if we get wrapped up in identifying all the parts, we miss the point. The point is that all these kingdoms, that all these parts of this grand, terrifying statue are blips on a screen because there is a stone that 500 years from this point, when Daniel stands before Nebuchadnezzar, there is a stone that will be born, and it will start rolling, and it will start to topple everything. Luke 20, verse 17 and 18, Jesus looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. And so, brothers and sisters, Jesus, Jesus is the one that's not fashioned by human hands. He is the one whose kingdom will spread through dough like, like yeast, imper imperceptible at first, but eventually taking over the whole thing. His kingdom is the mountain that will encompass the entire earth. And of course, Isaiah and the prophets, they ooze with this hope. Isaiah 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established on the highest of mountains, and the nation shall flow to it. And Jesus' coming brings that hope. Luke 1, the angel told Mary concerning her son, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Nebuchadnezzar is being proclaimed the good news. It's not so good to him. In fact, it's almost as if he disregards the fact that his kingdom is about to be crushed. It's short-lived. It's, it's temporary. There is no finality about it. He almost dismisses and gets caught in the the amazement and the awe of the fact that here is a man who reflects one who reveals mystery. And so, so what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He, he pays homage. It's a word that's used 11 times in the next chapter. And, and it's used there to describe worshiping Nebuchadnezzar's image. And we'll see how quickly Nebuchadnezzar flips but here, in an ironic twist, in a shadow of what is to come, Nebuchadnezzar bows before Daniel and his God. 
the light has come to extinguish the darkness, and even Nebuchadnezzar can't escape the amazement of it. It's an amazing story, vivid story, and what good news for our souls. As we close, notice that this is a hope that doesn't cause Daniel to to simply sit on his hands. Did Daniel know the stone was named Jesus? No. Did Daniel see in vivid color all that was to come? No. But he believed God. He trusted God and He doesn't just sit on his hands and wait for what is to come. To the contrary, as he is honored, he himself and his companions seek to bless and to bring that light into their land. Indeed, this was what the prophet told the exiles in Jeremiah 29. You've heard this passage before where he says in Jeremiah 29, 5 to 7, I think they apply to us. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You see, knowing that we serve a God who is light, our message in turn becomes light, and our purpose in turn becomes light. And through us, brothers and sisters, through the church, the mountain grows and spreads, and eventually that great rock That stone, not cut from human hands, that rock of ages will rule this earth in finality and in fullness. Rest in that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this message this morning from your servant Daniel. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take Oh, these great truths and and what great comforts for our souls. And that they would once again find deep root in our hearts. And, And I pray specifically for our children. I pray for specifically for our our teenagers as they hear these truths, that they would believe and reject all of the the pomp and all of the show and all of the so-called wisdom that they see in their worlds and in their generation and that they would see and trust in what you have revealed in your word. Oh, Father, all of us need that, but how much more our children, these next generation of worshipers, who will bring light to a world in darkness, who will bring hope into a world of despair. Oh, Father, do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.